This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. No matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your baby's mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Get your baby butt in the best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby. Tonight, there's a lot of news here in the nation's capital. President Biden isolating inside the White House after testing positive for COVID. And soon, right here on CBS, the final primetime hearing of the summer for the January 6th committee. The president says he's working from home. I'm doing well. Getting a lot of work done. The new details about the president's condition. Our Dr. John LaPook will join us tonight on what the diagnosis means for the 79-year-old president. Prime time insurrection hearing. Tonight's focus, what Donald Trump was doing for the more than three hours of chaos at the Capitol. The new evidence promised, including outtakes from the former president's January 7th speech. It's hot, really hot. In case you haven't noticed, the heat wave is continuing across America. And now severe thunderstorms are threatening the East Coast. Eye on America, CBS's Jonathan Vigliotti gets exclusive access to Yellowstone National Park after unprecedented flooding. There is now concern that erosion in the area is so bad, parts of the canyon wall could collapse. World's worst commute. A Boston train catches on fire before 7 a.m. as passengers rush to escape, one even jumping into the Mystic River below. And the Kennedy Center Honors will tell you who will be celebrated. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell. 
reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us on this busy Thursday night. Tonight, President Biden has now joined many of us who have tested positive for COVID-19 and is now forced to work from home. Of course, that home is the White House and is equipped by a full medical staff and team. The president tweeted out a photo and video since his diagnosis. He just returned from the Middle East and was in Massachusetts on Wednesday, where he came into contact with several members of Congress. The first lady and vice president, Kamala Harris, are also considered close contacts. As of now, neither of them has tested positive. More than two years into the pandemic, cases are once again on the rise. Health officials are blaming the BA5 Omicron subvariant. New cases are up more than 27 percent in the last month alone. We have a lot of news to get to tonight, including how the president is being treated. And CBS's Nancy Cordes will start us off from the White House. It's been a busy day there today. Good evening, Nancy. Good evening. It sure has, Nora. White House protocols helped to protect the president from contracting COVID for more than two years. But now he has joined the estimated 200 million Americans who have been infected with this virus. Hey, folks, guess you heard this morning I tested positive for COVID. Speaking from a White House balcony, a slightly congested President Biden said he's feeling well enough to keep working in isolation. Thanks for your concern and keep the faith. It's going to be okay. In a letter, White House doctor Kevin O'Connor said Mr. Biden tested positive for COVID during a routine screening this morning and has developed mild symptoms, including a runny nose, fatigue, and an occasional dry cough. The president was promptly prescribed a five-day course of Paxlovid, an antiviral drug that dramatically reduces the risk of severe COVID. Visiting schools in Detroit, the first lady immediately slipped on a mask. He's doing fine. He's feeling good. Uh, I tested negative this morning. Contact tracing has begun. The president spent time yesterday with three senators and the governor of Rhode Island. On Tuesday, he welcomed Ukraine's first lady to the White House. We always said that this was a possibility. Dr. Ashish Jha is the White House COVID coordinator and spoke to the president this morning. He hadn't even been able to finish his breakfast because he had just been busy. I encouraged him to finish his breakfast. The good news is his immune system is very well protected given the, the four vaccine shots he's gotten. Tests will confirm whether the 79-year-old president was infected by the highly contagious BA5 subvariant, which is now responsible responsible for nearly 80% of all U.S. cases. The number of daily cases has nearly tripled in the past three months, and hospitalizations are up 20% just in the past two weeks. Dr. Jha says President Biden does not have a fever and that his oxygen levels are normal. For now, the president will continue to hold meetings via phone and by Zoom in the White House residence until he tests negative, while the First Lady is going to be staying at their residence in Delaware. Nora. Nancy Cordes, thank you very much. Well, let's turn now to CBS News Chief Medical Correspondent, Dr. John LaPook, for more on the president's diagnosis. So, John, we heard the president's got these mild symptoms, but he is 79 years old. How much of a concern is that? Well, of course there's concern, but he should have significant protection from serious illness by the fact that he's double boosted. And in fact, that's what we're seeing right now with these cold symptoms that are very mild. And on top of that, he's getting Paxlovid, which should further reduce his risk by lowering the amount of virus in his system. Now, compare this with two years ago, Nora. What a difference two years makes now that we have antivirals and these vaccines. I do want to ask you about that drug, the Paxlovid, because 
um, there have been these rebound cases. Even Dr. Fauci had a rebound Indeed. case. So how will this impact the president's recovery? We are seeing in a relatively small percentage of people, we don't know exactly how many, probably less than 10 percent, this rebound two to eight days after somebody finishes a course of Paxlovid, they can test positive again and get symptoms. The symptoms are generally mild, lasting three to six days. Now, the president is certainly taking some cardiac medications, including a blood thinner, uh, because of his chronic atrial fibrillation. And the doctor decided to hold the blood thinner right now to just while he's taking the Paxlovid, because Paxlovid can increase the level of the blood thinner. I'm sure there was a lot of discussion about the risk benefit of that and that he's going to be followed very closely in the days to come. Lots of good information. Dr. John LaPook, thank you so much. Well, now to the other major story here in Washington tonight, a newly launched criminal investigation into those apparently deleted Secret Service text messages from the days around the deadly riot at the U.S. Capitol. The texts were requested by the Congressional January 6th Committee. Well, CBS News has confirmed the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General has asked the Secret Service to stop its internal investigation. The IG doesn't want that probe to interfere, and it would refer any wrongdoing to the attorney general for possible charges. Now, this is all happening as the January 6th committee tonight holds a primetime hearing, the last one planned for this summer. CBS's Nicole Killian sets the stage from Capitol Hill. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. 187 minutes. That is the focus of tonight's primetime hearing. From the moment then President Trump finished his speech on the ellipse at 1.10 p.m. to three hours after the Capitol breach at 4.17 p.m. when he released a video telling rioters to leave. So go home. We love you. You're very special. It's obvious the president, uh, you know, was, was derelict in his duty. Representatives Adam Kinzinger and Elaine Luria will lead the committee's eighth public hearing, outlining what the former president was doing as the violent mob swarmed the Capitol. He was always in the dining room. It's my understanding he was watching television. And what he was not doing. He had a whole flurry of people around him who were trying to you know, push him to make a statement, to try to you know, have him be the person who could make this stop. And you know, he took no action. Former White House aides Sarah Matthews and Matthew Pottinger, who both resigned on January 6th, will describe the chaos that unfolded. I mean, images of violence uh, um, uh, unfolding on, on uh, television, and uh, uh, that's when I called it quits. That, that would be in line with my thinking on these things. Also expected tonight, revealing testimony from former White House counsel Pat Cipollone. Sources close to the committee say he has provided critical details about how some cabinet members were discussing whether to invoke the 25th Amendment in order to remove Trump from office and how Trump resisted urgent calls from him and others to quickly condemn the violence. I am outraged by the violence, lawlessness and mayhem. And while the former president did make this statement the day after the riot, CBS News has learned that never-before-seen outtakes from his speech will be shown tonight. I'll let the viewers determine for themselves when they see it, but, you know, it was not easy for him to say the words that, you know, he had put in front of him that day. We're also expected to hear a testimony tonight corroborating former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson's account that Mr. Trump lunged at the steering wheel in his presidential limo after he was told he could not go to the Capitol. The Secret Service said it would offer agent testimony to refute the story, but so far hasn't done that yet. Nora. Wow, that's big news. Nicole Killian, thank you.
Well, now for a deeper dive into what former President Trump was and wasn't doing on January 6th, let's bring in CBS News congressional correspondent Scott McFarlane. He's at the touch screen. So, Scott, describe just how crucial was that 187 minutes? The warnings he got in the West Wing are important. The committee will detail them, saying he was in the dining room of the West Wing near the Oval Office. And in this context, it's important that he was steps away from the press briefing room from which he could have told the mob to go home. But court filings reviewed by CBS News show the committee also has text messages, including on January 6th from Donald Trump Jr. to White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, urging Meadows to have the president condemn the riot. And from Fox News' Sean Hannity, also to Meadows, urging Meadows to have the president peacefully have the mob disassemble. But there were also warning signs inside the Capitol itself. Let me take you to the second floor, lift the dome and bring you over to the House chamber. If the president was watching television that day and the committee says he was, he'd have seen images like this. Members of the House barricaded in the upper level of the chamber. Members of both parties, including the chairman of the January 6th committee, Benny Thompson, on the first floor of the chamber. He'd have seen images of members of the House Republican Conference helping police barricade the doors with that furniture so police could pull their guns and keep the mob from going through the smashed window. The committee has said Trump engaged in a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. And Nora, they're arguing his inaction was a part of that. You explain it so well. Scott McFarlane, thank you. Well, from the political heat here in Washington to the sizzling heat wave across the country, the National Weather Service says half of the country today experienced a heat index or feels like temperatures above 100 degrees. CBS's Nancy Chen is in a very hot New York City. As most of the country simmers in another day of elevated temperatures, health concerns are also on the rise. In New York, outreach workers handed out cold water and sunscreen to those who are experiencing homelessness. During a heat emergency, our clients are especially vulnerable to negative effects from the weather. And this summer camp is decreasing the time kids spend outdoors. If so much of summer camp is about being outside, that must be hard for you right now. Right, because actually the camp that we developed is primarily outdoors. So going inside gets a little tricky. The kids, the children are very antsy. That concern is being felt nationwide as more than 120 million Americans are under excessive heat warnings or advisories. 43 million live in places where temperatures hit 100 degrees or above. In Baltimore, it's code red. The city's health commissioner warning vulnerable residents of substantial threats to their life or health. A heat health emergency was declared in Philadelphia, activating cooling centers and home visits to the elderly. The U.S. isn't alone. Many parts of the world are struggling to keep up with the heat. In China, it led COVID workers to pass out while wearing head-to-toe PPE. That's not water, but sweat, coming from inside one worker's protective clothing. Record-setting heat continues to scorch Europe. In Slovenia, fire crews are battling heat-stoked wildfires. The same in Spain. And near Rome, parched earth. I'm Chris Livesay in Italy, where lakes and rivers are dangerously low due to the worst drought in seven decades. Around the country, water restriction is in place, including right here in Lake Bracciano. It's Rome's biggest water reserve, supplying millions of people. But now it's four feet lower than it should be, and it risks running out. Whether abroad or back home, a challenge to simply stay safe and cool. Just stepping outside, I've kind of changed my shirt like three times today. 
and temperatures are forecast in New York at least 90 or above through Sunday, which would make it the longest heat wave this city has seen in nearly a decade, Nora. That's hot. Nancy Chen, thank you. Well, for more on this extreme weather, let's bring in meteorologist Mike Bettis from our partners at the Weather Channel. Good evening, Mike. Nora, good evening. Severe thunderstorms and heat. The two major weather stories playing out across the country in dangerous storms across the northeast today. This evening, watching for more storms, basically on I-95 and east of there. Places across northern Maine even getting some thunderstorms this evening. Those storms, however, should begin to weaken somewhat later on tonight after the sun sets. The storm's gone by the morning, but making way for some extreme temperatures tomorrow. A lot of the population here, 95 to 100 degrees for the next several days. That includes includes this weekend where temperatures 99 or 100 degrees, which we haven't hit in nearly a decade in some places. The country as a whole, well, as much as 70% of the population by this weekend will feel temperatures above 90 degrees, Nora. The heat wave continues from coast to coast. Mike Bettis, thanks. Last month's unprecedented flooding of Yellowstone National Park caused so much damage, damage that will likely take years to repair. In fact, the park says the repairs will be the largest construction project in its 150-year history. In tonight's Eye on America, CBS's Jonathan Vigliotti got an exclusive look at the devastation at one of America's national treasures. Unfolding tonight inside America's oldest national park, an urgent push to repair catastrophic damage caused by last month's historic flood, fueled, scientists say, by rising temperatures. CBS News was given exclusive access to Yellowstone's northern entrance, where the nearly 150-year-old Highway 89 now looks like this. This is one of four sections that was severely damaged by the flood event. Park Superintendent Cam Shali says repairing the two-mile highway could now take up to five years and by some estimates cost as much as $1 billion with help from the Army Corps of Engineers. Ideally, I'd like to see this canyon restored. Ultimately, you've got to be cognizant of what the future uh, threats could be. But rebuilding the road may not even make sense. There's now concern that erosion in the area is so bad, parts of the canyon wall could collapse. The National Park Service says most of their properties and surrounding towns are now impacted by climate change, from rising sea levels in Florida's Everglades to drought-fueled fires in California's Yosemite. Business in Yellowstone's northern gateway communities has plummeted. Everybody has been incredibly resilient and pushing through and trying to figure out, you know, how do we how do we keep going? The park is now adapting to the loss of a major access road. We're driving on what used to be a very narrow bike trail. Crews are now turning about five miles of it into a temporary two-lane road. Yellowstone's temporary mountaintop road will open to tourists by November. Rangers say it may even replace the historic Canyon Highway. Is it possible that people will no longer be able to drive down this road again? Very possible. Okay, there's no question uh, climate change is occurring. We've got a long way to go to figure out what steps are necessary to ensure that we're adapting properly. A long and new road ahead for an iconic landmark. For Ion America, I'm Jonathan Vigliotti, Yellowstone National Park. Still ahead on tonight's CBS Evening News, fire on the tracks, the terrifying moments after a Boston commuter train goes up in flames. And health officials sound the alarm about America's first polio case in nearly a decade.
What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The Thursday morning commute took a terrifying turn today when a train caught fire outside Boston. The front car went up in flames as it crossed a bridge. Some passengers had to escape through windows. One even jumped into the Mystic River below. There were no serious injuries. Also tonight, health officials are investigating the first confirmed case of polio in the U.S. since 2013. The unvaccinated patient is from Rockland County, New York, that's north of Manhattan, and developed paralysis a month ago. The county is launching several polio vaccination clinics for anyone that might have been exposed. All right, coming up next, it's a beautiful day for this year's Kennedy Center honorees. Rock band U2 may have finally found what they're looking for. The Irish rockers are among this year's recipients of the Kennedy Center Honors. They will be joined by two-time Oscar winner George Clooney, Grammy Award-winning singers Gladys Knight and Amy Grant, and Pulitzer Prize-winning composer Tanya Leone. Each year, the Kennedy Center honors five people or groups for their contributions to American culture through the performing arts. The ceremony will take place in December and will be broadcast at a later date right here on CBS. It's one of my favorite events. We'll be right back with a salute to a U.S. Marine who's ready to add another star to his uniform. After 246 years, the Marines are making history. Lieutenant General Michael Langley is set to become the Marines' first black four-star general and will lead U.S. forces in Africa. Langley had his confirmation hearing today. In his 37-year career, Langley served in Afghanistan, Somalia, and Japan. Congratulations. And that's tonight's CBS Evening News. And a reminder, we will have full coverage of tonight's primetime hearing from the January 6th committee starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We hope you will join us. Good night. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. And how long have you been the, the producer of this? We've been doing this for two years now. Okay, and and what is it like to attempt to uh, get feedback from me about the podcast? Be honest about how quickly I respond to emails. You actually respond to emails surprisingly fast. Really? I, I think you might be the only person I respond to. <laughs> I respond to quickly. Oh well, that's good. Yeah. I expected I expected you to lay into me. Well, this was over the strike period. Oh, I had time. Yeah. See, that, that does that doesn't count. <laughs> sure, I responded to everything because responding to you putting reruns up on the podcast was like a form of employment. Yeah. And I felt like I had something to get up for every yeah. day. So thank you for that. 
Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.